Fifi? I feel so lonely up here without Cheryl. <laughs> This afternoon we're going to continue this practice of heart by really bringing all of everything we've done so far will arrive in this practice of equanimity. So we're going to do some equanimity practice here now and for the remainder of the afternoon. And I'll talk about it for a little while because it's a strange term. Uh, it's one of these terms, that, unfortunately, that we don't use I did never heard the term equanimity until I started practicing Dharma. It's not a colloquial term. It's also a fairly enormous term. It encompasses a whole lot. And maybe we could say that the goal of practice is equanimity. is to have an evenness of mind and heart, being able to have balance between internal experience, external experience, emotions, mental states, relations, relationships. Balance is hard to come by, has been my experience. And so when, I mentioned it the other night, when we look at mindfulness practices and the classic teachings on mindfulness, which we've been doing quite a lot of, the foundations of mindfulness, dealing with the body, looking at the pain, the sensations, the beauty, the joy, all of the experiences of body, being realistic and honest about all of the feelings that come out of the body and the mind, pleasant, unpleasant feelings in the massive range that pleasant and unpleasant encompass. The mind, mental states, attitudes, and these uh, mental activities, types of thinking, stories, processes, which is mostly where we spend a lot of our time if we're honest in our daily lives. We're so, we're so caught up in our minds. And so when, when, when practice and developed and coming into its full fruition, mindfulness practice leads to this experience of equanimity, which you've probably had actually many, many times this week. And probably much of your life, it's that sense of being able to recognize the conditions that you find yourself in and having some ease with that. No matter how high or low the stakes are, it's just this kind of... To some degree, we've been trying to cultivate that kind of quality all week. It's like really a beautiful experience to have, this experience of equanimity. Just like, I'm here and everything's okay. I'm okay. You're okay. <sighs> so it's an experience. We can have the experience of equanimity. We also can try to cultivate that quality of equanimity. So it's kind of like the seed and the fruit. And it has really two faces and that are both equally important. Equanimity has the face of wisdom and it has the face of compassion. So wisdom, seeing clearly, recognizing with clarity the full picture, the complete picture, the whole story. 
mindfulness is kind of gives us that ability to monitor experience, to view experience, to see what's happening. It really helps too because it allows us, hopefully, to some degree, to not take what's happening so personally. My mind just becomes the mind. You know, the mind is not yours, but you're responsible for it. It's not your mind. <clears throat> I know it probably feels like you're like, no, I'm pretty sure it's mine. (laughs) 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 But it all performs the same functions. So we we embody, we were born into this mind-body system and um, we try to make sense of it, we try to come to terms with it, we try to be realistic about the limitations and the possibilities of what this mind can do. For, for benefit and for, you know, limitations. The mind's limited. But it also has amazing possibilities and potential if we stop looking for what's wrong. So equanimity. In a lot of the interviews I've had with you today, and this week, there's a lot of, you guys are recognizing quite a lot of interesting things about your mind. That's good. If you can't recognize it, you can't do much about it. So what might feel like bad news at times, I got a lot of bad news about my mind in the last few days. <laughs> it actually is really good information. It's like, oh, okay, okay. Things start to make sense. And then the other side of that practice is the compassion, or the metta, really. The how am I relating to this mind? So there's a behavioral component to equanimity. There's a relational aspect to it. It's not just this cold indifference. Sometimes people get confused about that with Dharma practice. They think equanimity just means kind of being cold and sort of indifferent. Kind of like, eh, whatever. Dismissive. Non-affected. That's not equanimity, that's maybe half of it. But we're not trying to cut off or to become cold or repressed or shut down. And I think sometimes it can feel like that, it can sound like that when we hear equanimity. We think, oh, we're just supposed to be above it all. So we have to be able to see that there is a way in which equanimity knows what's happening and it also knows what's needed, what's necessary. Which Cheryl talked about this this morning. I mentioned it yesterday. What does it need? And I can't, if I don't know how it is, if I don't know what it is or how it is, I'm certainly not going to be able to discern what it needs or what it might need. Because again, oftentimes we don't really want to know. We just want it to go away. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to know about that. And then it it just sort of lingers, waiting for its next opportunity to arrive. And every time it arises or attempts to arise, you go, I don't want to know about that. And then what they do, it just keeps knocking on the door until you let it in and go, what is this? How is this? What does this need? And then, impermanence hard at work can do its job. 
So you can't let go of something that you have not yet let in. Which is this whole let go thing that Cheryl mentioned this morning, which is a beautiful concept, but sometimes we get confused about it. I remember in my early practice at the Insight Meditation Society, I would hear the instructions of just let go, just let go. And I'd be ready for it. I'm like, I'm going to let go of all my suffering right now. <laughs> I let go. I'm like, all right, I let go. I let go and nothing happened. In fact, things got worse. <laughs> so there's that way in which we can become, we want to let go too quickly. And let go can turn into a kind of aversion. Yeah, I'll let that, I'll let that go. I don't even know what it is. And so we also have varying degrees of success with this because it's nothing that we can always necessarily do. So equanimity is really this full range of heart, mind, wisdom, understanding, being able to recognize woundedness, recognize what it is that gets us. Good thing is when we start to realize that there's usually certain themes or patterns that we, we all have our big ticket items. The mind's not that original, I've noticed over the years. It's, it's got variations on the same theme, but it's ma- basically getting you at the same old shell game over and over and over again. Just the different versions of it. So when we start to see that a lot of these themes or a lot of our, the stuff that gets us can be categorized, then there's lots of variations on that theme, but the mind's not as, uh, you know, it's not as amazing as it thinks it is. <laughs> it's kind of up to the same old tricks all the time, but we get tricked, right? We fall into that trap, and we say, no, this one's different, this is not that. This is a new thing. It's like, no, it's just that same old story, theme, hurt, fear, unrealistic expectation. I love Cheryl's Academy Award delusion. The mind's grandiosity and it's self-pity. It'll go both on you. If I can, a 30-minute set, I can be the greatest person in the room and the worst person in the room. 20, 20 minutes I went from being the best person here to the worst person here. One of the ways equanimity is defined is there in the middleness. Is that we, we try to steady the mind, we try to bring our attention to focus, presence, and we're, we're just kind of the middle way, we're there in the middle. Right in the middle of all kinds of things arising and passing. And we can try to hold the mind steady there and things arise and they pass and we're just able to hearken and be able to steady, to stabilize what the Buddha calls samadhi. We're not indulging in the things that are arising in the mind. We're not indulging in those. We're not getting lost in those. But we're also not trying to push them out either. And meditatively, it's really much like that, right? It's like, I'm always in the middle of like the last moment and the next moment. Almost on a timeline thing. 
But I have a hard time staying in the middle because I'm trying to grab onto the old stuff that passed that I liked. I wonder. Like they, uh, I, I like to say that, and you've maybe noticed this, there's nothing like one good sit in the morning to ruin your whole day. <laughs> <laughs> you had that good 6.30, just like, any second now, I'm going to be liberator. <laughs> They're totally going to ask me to teach this retreat next year. <laughs> and then 2.30 rolls around, and you're just like... <laughs> Shoot me now, please. <laughs> Gotta get back. Gotta get back to that thing, that time. Then you start sitting multiple of these retreats and it gets real, real sketchy. And I'm like, man, what happens to me? I'm like, I was like, 10 years ago, I was better than I am now. <laughs> and I'm supposed to be teaching this stuff. <laughs> and my mind's just like, and there it is, I fall asleep into that, that doubt, whatever it is, it gets me. So there in the middleness, trying to steady to be focused. And so this is a, not an easy practice to teach guided-wise, because it, as you can see from just this little overview, it, it encompasses such a wide range of experience. So when I, when I practice equanimity and teach equanimity, I actually draw a little bit more from the heart side of it than from the wisdom side of it. Mostly because that, that I find it to be more informative around maybe where some of my work lies. And one thing I've noticed over the years working with students is whatever practice you dislike the most is probably the one you should be doing. People are like, oh, I... I love mindfulness. I love mindfulness of breathing. I just ignore all the problems in my life. Like, maybe you need to do some hard practice. It's like, no, I don't want to do that. It's <laughs> good information. There's not a lot of wisdom in aversion. So we, I use these series of phrases. Some of you who have sat with me before or listened to some of my stuff, it's a pretty standard practice that I, that I offer. And I really like it because what it does is it, is it allows us to integrate mindfulness and the heart practices into about six phrases that we just kind of drop in. And we haven't taught a whole lot of traditional phrase stuff here on this retreat um, for no particular reason. We've used some of it, but this practice, I think, works really well with, with phrases because what it does is it allows us to just incline the mind in a particular direction and just kind of drop something into the system and see. So like we say, like, in metaphrase, we would say, may I be at ease. So we kind of get behind this idea, we say the phrase, we drop it in the experience, and we see what is my relationship to that phrase. And so it's a great way to just allow us to start to have some recognition of how we, how we operate in that chitta. <coughs> Like I said years ago, I would do the meta practice, and one of the instructions that I don't use anymore because I find it so triggering is uh, the phrase they would say, well, may I be happy? And I would say, may I be happy? And I would immediately, my mind would say, well, I'm not happy. I'm not happy at all. And then that would trigger that kind of, the chitta of all of the, then my mind would go looking for evidence, go, do you want to know why I'm not happy? <laughs> 
if all of this stuff has happened, why would I be happy? That would be insane. <laughs> I'm not stupid. I'm just pissed. <laughs> so quickly the mind turns on us. And so when we look at the mindfulness practices, and I'll walk through the phrases a little bit before we get into them. Some of you might be familiar with these. It's, it's the first ones I like to use are the ones that really we use in mindfulness around feeling, which is to feel and to know and to feel and to know. So we feel into the experience. I feel you. Feel the body. Feel the temperature. Feel the gravity. Feel you. I feel you. And I know you. Those are two very important insight practices about feeling and knowing what's being felt. So that, that really can give rise to a kind of a, maybe a sense of curiosity. It also uses language in, I think, a very skillful way. Have you noticed that your mind has continued to talk even though you have been not talking? So language is so potent. So if you ever think your way into like a bad mood? <laughs> you ever think your way into a destructive emotion? Well, if I can think my way into a bad mood or a bad attitude or a destructive emotion, maybe I can think my way into a wholesome state of mind, into a constructive emotional experience. So it's just really, actually, I think, very practical to... If the mind can do that, if it has the potential to have an affect on our experience, then we might as well use it for our advantage rather to our detriment. You know, and most of us, if we're honest, as we go through our lives, our mind doesn't kind of follow behind us, cheering us along all the time. <laughs> you did great over there. Good job. <laughs> oh, don't worry about the thing you're going to do later. You're going to get it. You're going to do a great job. I know you're going to do good. You're good. I love you. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine a mind like that. So just like, yeah, man, you're, you got this. <laughs> I can't wait to see how you handle this argument later. <laughs> You're the best. I love you so much. <laughs> I don't know what I would do without you. <laughs> the anti-mind. It's like that. So we use these words of I, I feel you, I know you, I feel you, I know you, I feel you, I know you. And then we start to try to use those calling different aspects of mind to be present, to be known, objects to be known. And sometimes I change them up, but I traditionally use the ones after that of I care about you, I forgive you, I appreciate you, and I understand. I understand you. I understand that my happiness and my well-being is dependent upon my actions, not my wishes. And so there's a way in which we can kind of remind the mind that it's responsible for itself. And so my encouragement is, this is a little bit of a practice that maybe is a little bit directed, so just kind of working with these, these phrases in this way, and just really trying to treat it as an experiment because as we move through these, there's 
there's going to, as we drop these phrases in there, there's something that could be felt, there's something that could be known, which is the wisdom aspect, the mindfulness aspect, what's being felt, what's being known. It doesn't really matter what's being felt or known, it's just, are we able to do that? And then bringing a sense of care, a sense of forgiveness, a sense of appreciation, and a sense of understanding to that experience. It's kind of like an equanimity quiz, because it allows me to see where, where am I, what phrases feel useful, what phrase, uh, phrases feel available, which ones feel challenging. So it's this really great investigation tool of kind of just gathering where we are in the relational field. What is my relationship to these ideas, to these phrases? Maybe forgiveness for myself is really easy. Maybe not. To some degree, we might already be diagnosing ourselves to see which ones are going to be hard or easy, but I'm, I'm always quite surprised as the conditions of my life change. At certain times, certain things feel like a struggle. Certain things feel easy. So equanimity is really this beautiful way of seeing the both and. Seeing the both and is what destroys the black and white thinking. The black and white thinking, I don't know about you, I have a lot of black and white thinking in my system. And it's not gone down easily. But it's this, this gray, this life is both tragic and beautiful. It's both. It's going to continue to be both. It's always been both. You already know that anyway. It's not like revelation. Like, oh, wow. Oh, yeah, good things and bad things have happened to me. We, but we just constantly forget because whatever the current circumstances are, even on a moment-to-moment experience, have you noticed how tight you can get around being tired and pain in the body? It's like in that moment, it's it become everything. My life is just a... Just a, oh, it's just a big failure. <laughs> it just becomes defined by this, by these tiny little conditions that I'm trapped in. And it just, that those defilements, they just kind of, they just fall over us. Like a nice, warm, comfortable blanket. I'm just so terrible. Just curl up with that story for a little while. So equanimity allows us to recognize, okay, well, these are the conditions. What are the conditions like right now? Conditions are constantly changing. And we know this mostly on a global perspective. We know this just in a quick analysis of our life in the world. We know things are tragic and beautiful, and there's pleasure, and there's pain, and there's gain, and there's loss. And we get praised for things. We get blamed for things. There's what the Buddha calls vicissitudes, which is what, which is what polarizes the system into black and white thinking. We become extreme. It becomes extreme. It's all gain. It's all, or it's all loss. It's all unpleasant. It's all bad. It's all my fault. It's all. It's like such a limited perspective. 
But I, I find myself falling trapped to these so much of the time. So again, this is why mindfulness, the memory aspect of it, remembering to recognize. Oh, it's just like, this is just maybe a challenging sit. Okay, I feel like I can work with that. This isn't the best meditation sit I've had, so I can work with this. It doesn't define everything. So if you want to uh, stand or stretch your body a little bit before we do some formal practice, just allowing yourself to find a seated posture. Starting to end with the bell. as you sit and come face to face with your direct experience as it is here and now, right now this is what it's like. And to see if you can allow your your mind and your heart to just open to this idea of sitting here in the middleness, the middleness. the middle of everything that has ever happened in your life and everything that is about to happen. The Zen Buddhists call this this awkward moment between birth and death. It's an awkward moment. Long, awkward moment. Just as we begin this equanimity practice, just starting simply by bringing some metta 
of friendliness. And just as you come into contact with the mind, just be friendly. A sense of cooperation. Allowing the breath to connect the mind and the body. So breathing in, there's a sense of feeling the breath and knowing the breath. I feel the sensations of the in and out breath. And I also know that I'm breathing. So the breath can be felt and known. The breath can be felt and known. Expanding awareness of the body, of the breath, to sound, sensation, temperature, the body can be felt and known. Each moment can be felt and known. And bringing all of this embodied awareness towards yourself. And just beginning to drop these phrases internally. I feel you and I know you. I feel you and I know you. If you find the breath stabilizing, you can offer this phrase of I feel you on the in-breath, I know you on the out-breath.
and pouring the awareness deep through the body to feel all of the sensations, the weight, all of the memories in the body. I feel you. I know you. I feel you. I know you. Just reminding over and over again that this is true. I feel you and I know you. And expanding the heart to I care about you. I feel you. I know you. I care about you. I feel you. I know you. I care about you. care about you, everything that's been hard for you, everything I know about you that's been painful and challenging, suffering. I care about you. Just letting those phrases move through the system, inclining the mind in this direction to just see. I feel you. I know you. I care about you. Breathing that in and out. I feel you. I know you, I care about you.
is watching anything that arises as a result of these phrases. I feel you, I know you, I care about you, and I forgive you. Offering forgiveness to yourself for anything that needs to be let go of, no longer willing to feel the hurt. I forgive you. I forgive you for not always doing or saying the right thing. I forgive you for not being perfect. I forgive you for trying too hard. I forgive you for not trying hard enough. I forgive you. I forgive you for being a human being who makes mistakes. forgive you. using this opportunity to offer yourself forgiveness. It's okay, I forgive you. Noticing if the body has accumulated any tension or tightness, just bring some ease and friendliness into the body as you practice in this way. And just building momentum with these phrases. I feel you, I know you. I care about you, I forgive you. I feel you, I know you. I care about you, I forgive you.
keep coming back to this sense of being in the middleness here in this present time experience, just exploring the heart and mind. I feel you. I know you. I care about you. I forgive you. And I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you for all that you've done for me. I appreciate you for being there for me, for having my back. Appreciate you for taking care of me. I'm just sending that message deep into the system. I appreciate you. Thank you. I'm grateful for you. each phrase stretching the heart just a bit more out of its comfort zone, allowing these messages, these words to penetrate any sense of defensiveness. Steadying the mind and the body and the breath. Letting these phrases drop right through the middle of your experience. I feel you and I know you. I care about you and I forgive you. I appreciate you. I feel you and I know you. I care about you, I forgive you, I appreciate you.
steadying the awareness and attention in the body and the breath. Breathing in and out, I feel you. Be the one who feels. See if you can allow yourself to do the feeling. Whatever's there, be the one who feels. I feel you. I know you. Be the one who knows. I fully know you. Do the knowing. Whatever is to be known. I know you. I care about you. Be the one who cares. Do the caring. I care about you. Be the one who cares and be the one who is cared for. Giving and receiving this compassion. I care about you. See if you can allow that to happen. I forgive you. I forgive you. Be the one who forgives. Do the forgiving. I forgive you. Be the one who forgives. And see if you can allow yourself to be the one who is forgiven. Okay, whatever it is. I forgive you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Be the one who appreciates. Be the one who sees the goodness. I appreciate you.
And also see if you can receive that. Be the one who is appreciated. The recipient. The giver and the receiver. I appreciate you. I both appreciate you and feel appreciated from you. And I understand you. I understand your joy, I understand your sorrow. I understand that you need to be felt, that you need to be known, you need to be cared for, you need to be forgiven. You need to be appreciated. I understand you. understand your deepest desire to be free in this moment. And reflecting back on this practice for the last several minutes, just offering yourself whatever is needed right now. See if that can be freely given. Any or all of these phrases, feel that, know that, offer that. And practicing with this equanimity, fullness of heart and mind, together here for the last few minutes in silence.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.